Hey heroes, welcome to On Scene First. I'm your host, Tracy Eldridge. With over 25 years in public safety, I am wicked excited and honored to bring you entertaining, educational, and empowering conversations with public safety difference makers who are harnessing the power of -of out-of-the-box thinking when it comes to using the latest and greatest must-have technology tools, a people-first leadership approach, and mental health resources to save lives on both sides of the call. Before we get started, I would like to say thank you to our premier sponsor, NGA911. With their reliable cloud-based end-to-end NG911 solutions, I am super confident they can fulfill your needs when it comes to next-gen core services, call handling, data analytics, and much more. Oh, and did I mention it is affordable and customizable? Make sure you visit our friends at www.nga911.com and tell them Tracy sent you. Now, on with the show. All right. Welcome, heroes. I am wicked excited to have my guests today. They are known as that peer support couple. However, individually, uh, they are known as Javi and Kathy Bustos. And I am I'm super excited to have you guys here. You are doing amazing, amazing work. Before we get into any of the topics that we're going to talk about, I would love for my listeners to get to know each of you individually, and then we'll get to know you as that peer support couple. So who would like to go first? I'll go first. And hello, Tracy. Thank you for having us on the podcast. And hello to everybody listening. Uh, We love the fact that we can talk to others in the podcast form Mm -hmm. and hopefully get the message out. But my name is Javier Bustos. Uh, Everybody calls me Javi. I've been in law enforcement for 23 years in Austin, and I'll be retiring in August. Prior to that, I was in the United States Air Force, uh, security forces, law enforcement again for about eight years, active duty. I have lived a really great life serving others. And the fact that I am here on what I always call the other side, because I did go through uh, trials and tribulation like everybody else does in their lives, a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder. I'm happy to be on the other side where I can help others help themselves. I love that. Kathy? Uh, Of course, my name is Kathy Bustos, and I am the other half of that peer support couple. I am retired uh, lieutenant after 25 years. I served in two different departments. I am now a master's college student uh, studying studying counseling to treat first responders. So I want to continue to serve first responders in any capacity that I can. And I have found that when I couldn't decide what I wanted to be when I grew up, I saw a lot of phenomenal people around me who were serving first responders in the counseling profession. And I decided that that's what I wanted to do. I love that. I love that. Right. And Tracy, I I would just tell you and tell others listening right now, listen to Kathy and I'm just a comedy relief. Okay. She's as as I referred to, she's the wicked smart one. Like, because I'm from yeah, Massachusetts. So okay. And usually folks will try to determine how long it's gonna be before I say the word wicked. So there you go, friends that are keeping keeping track. I do think it's amazing that that you have both lived a life of service, but now you are serving others. I think we're seeing a lot of folks that have gone through their stuff, whatever it is. And, and I'm sure we'll, we'll, you know, we're going to get into that, but finding a way to give back in a very different way. I know that when I was forced out of my profession that I loved because of 
of my situation with PTSD and some of the failures in leadership, I was very angry and resentful. And uh, it took a while. It took a while for me to get to the mindset like, wait a minute, my, my story's already written and I just have to stop stealing the pen. And, and I'm and I'm going exactly where I'm supposed to be doing exactly what I'm supposed to do. And it sounds like you guys are doing that same exact thing. I would love to know how how this got started. And I, when I say this, I mean that peer support couple where where was the place place where you were like, all right, this is this is what we're going to do, because this is what the service looks like. We call it the broken road. God bless the broken road. Yeah. Everything that we went through individually and as a couple and our healing process is what what led us to be that peer support couple. But I'll let Javier tell his story. Right. And uh, it's funny because like we tell this story and there's always the mandatory eye roll from Kathy. Uh, uh, because I think it's a fantastic story and she does too, but it, it's just part of the, our humor in it all. But basically uh, we met and uh, it was in 2001 early, both law enforcement officers at the time. We met yeah. in the chat room uh, for law enforcement all, only on policeone.com. Way okay. before it was trendy. Yeah, way before it was trendy. <laughs> yeah, we met online. That's awesome. And, and our relationship, of course, uh, blossomed and we got married and, you know, I always say this, not realizing it, but we, we both brought past traumas from our previous lives into our marriage. Yep. And a lot of people don't realize that you, that you, you do that sometimes, especially when you're coming into a new marriage, that you, you bring your traumas. We went through some tough times. Kathy was already peer certified in the state of Texas through ICISF. I was very interested in it because she was educating me on what she did as a peer. Time went on. We went through uh, some bad stuff and I got peer trained. And then we went to a seminar in Huntsville, Texas at uh, San Francisco State University. It's at the Bill Blackwood Law Enforcement Management. It's called a Post-Critical Incident Seminar. And that's where we got a lot of help. And even though we were already certified peers, we wanted to be part of this program. And criteria to be a peer was you had to be peer trained. And, and sit at the table. And sit at the table. You had to go through a PCIS in order to be a peer at a PCIS. Okay. So we went through the training and we started peer support there. Well, of course, we meet other peers and you start friendships with the other peers because you're working so much with them. And one day a fellow peer was looking for both of us. He was saying, has anybody seen Kathy and Javier? And we just happened to walk into the room when he was asking for us. And he said, oh, there's that peer support couple. Oh, I love that. So time goes by and we were asked to uh, tell our story uh, in Washington State. And we were asked, well, what do do we call y'all? You know, do y'all have like a name? And I, and I thought for a second, and for whatever reason, it flashed into my brain. Yeah. And, uh, Kathy probably wishes it didn't. But, <laughs> but I said, call us that peer support couple. And she was at work. She didn't know about the conversation. I said, hey, yeah, I've set it up. We're good and everything. So she didn't see the advertisement until it already became public where it said that peer support couple. And she was like, are you nuts? <laughs> what did you do? And uh, I said, I told her, trust me, it's going to stick. It's yeah. Magic. People will remember that. And time has gone by. And a lot of times people won't know our names, but they go, oh, there's that peer support couple. So it, it was it's really cool that it's been able to have that recognition and they put us with the name and they know who we are. It, yeah. it really, it really is cool. You know, if, if you guys are gonna work together, if your lives are gonna cross like that, it just it just makes it just makes sense. I I think it's cool. <laughs> 
Thank you, Trusty. <laughs> and there goes the eye rolling. Y'all can't see it, but there it goes. You can't see it. She she totally she totally did it. Um, <laughs> but I started so. I, I'm going to assume. So I'm I'm forever looking for new resources. I am all about us empowering each other to do similar things. We just may do them differently. And I have so many folks in the 911 space that you know we're all doing very similar things. We don't look at each other as competition uh, because that's not what this is about. It's it's about getting the message out that it's it's okay to not be okay. You just can't stay there, and you have to want to put the work into to getting better. I, I, I don't, I'll have to try to find it and share it at some point, but there was a time where I was kind of in my dark times and I wrote a little blog thing about how I was comparing where I was to being in a bathtub. And, and in that bathtub, it's like when you first put the water in, it's like nice and warm and cozy and, you know, clean and fresh. And, and just over time, the longer you sit there, the darker the water gets, the more murky it gets. And then, and then before you know it, it's like, all right, you need to make a decision. You know, every once in a while, you just let a little bit of water out, let more in, but it's really not cleaning it. And at some point you just have to pull the plug and just, just drain the bathtub, clean it, scrub it and, and kind of start over. And, and that's what I know that I did. And I know a lot of folks have done similar. Would you agree that that's kind of where you guys got, or were you more like letting the water out and filling it back up? That well, that no, that's absolutely what we did. We had we were trying to, even though we were both trained peers, we were we were talking the talk but not walking the walk. So you, so you were everybody else. They needed to help, not looking in the mirror at ourselves. Yeah. So I refer to that as I I was the carpenter whose house wasn't finished. Yes, (laughs) I like that. I do like that. And that was us. Even when we sat down at the table at post critical incident seminar. We were still like, oh, this is going to be good training for us and still very arrogant about where we were at. Me more so than him, oddly enough, but that's where we were at. And I loved what you said about it's okay not to be okay. Yeah. I can't stay there because I have often, and I tell Javier this, when people say it's okay not to be okay and just stop there. No. It is okay not to be okay, but we have to take it upon ourselves to, to fix that. Right. right. Because it's also okay to be okay. It, yeah. it totally is. And yeah. I, you know what? I, I love that you said that because I read something on somebody's social media the other day and they said sometimes people absorb that victim type mentality and they feel like that's who they are. Like, like for a long time, I felt like that's all I had to offer now is that I was just this person who was broken and beaten and, and there was no more. And, and I know that today is, is totally not the case. So I do think it's very important to have the mindset that, yeah, we go through some stuff in public safety, like all aspects of, of public safety from the call, from the telecommunicator, all the way up to, hospital workers, even the callers. I, I re- remember some callers that I want to reach back to and find to be like, Hey, are you okay? Cause, mm-hmm. cause I know you saw some stuff on the other side of that call. So there's just so many, so many aspects of it. So how long have you guys been that peer support couple? Jeez. Well, probably around like 2017, 2018 timeframe. Mm-hmm. That's when it came into fruition of being that okay. peer support couple. Even we have evolved as that peer support couple as time has gone on. Uh, very much so because, of course, uh, like I say, Kathy's Kathy's moving up. She's going to be a, a clinician. She's going to be an LPC. Love it. So, uh, the fact that me as a peer, I'll be able to draw on her knowledge, not to 
try and be a, a junior clinician or like that, right. but her learning to be a clinician. And when I'm with all our other clinicians that we do work with, they give me such a, a unique point of view sometimes that helps me think outside the box as a peer, yep. which makes me a better peer. Because what we always say and what we have learned from our friends who are clinicians is peer support is very important because we are triage for them because it's very easy to go and be a peer support person and go on a session with somebody, a peer-to-peer, and then automatically say, oh, you need to go talk to a clinician. Right. Whereas when we triage them and we can help them, that's really good because when we're able to identify those that are beyond the level of training for a peer and we can send them to a clinician, that helps the clinician because if we sent everybody to the clinician, they would be just overrun with right. people to see them. Right. When we're able to send those that truly need to see a clinician, that helps them out and it lessens their workload because I know as a peer, after some peer-to-peer sessions, I'm wiped out, Yep. very wiped out. And I can only imagine for a clinician because they get even more detail that how they must feel at the end of the day. So we can send them the most qualified, and I know it's weird to say that. make it okay. Yeah. Make it okay for them to go see a clinician. Right. right. And I was going to say, we send the most qualified ones, and it sounds weird to say that, but the ones that need the most help because they qualified that they do need that help. Right. That's on the triage part of it. That's how the system works well. And I think that's important too, because not everybody needs to go to the clinician. And I think sometimes folks just need an outlet. They just need, you know what, that was a really bad call or something's not sticking well or or something's not sitting well. And it's just kind of sticking and looping and I can't get it out of my head. And, you know, sometimes it's even just hearing the words, there was nothing you were going to do differently in that call. That's it. you're exactly right. And that's that's the great thing about it is when you establish that peer relationship, then they know, hey, I can go talk to so-and-so, you know, they're, they're a peer. And as time goes on, uh, that peer might realize, okay, you know what, you're at the point now because you've, you've come and talked to me so many times that I think now's the time that you need to see a clinician. Right. It's all about the triage of it all and seeing where they're at with their trauma. Yeah. And a lot of times you're right. Sometimes all it takes is just one contact. That's what we call it and having a great conversation. And then they do feel better because they got it out. That's the problem in our first responder community is nobody, I shouldn't say nobody, there are those who won't get it out and they keep the trauma inside and it manifests and it manifests. And that's when the mental health and the physical health. Oh yeah. Yeah. If you think about way back when, when we all started, because so I'm pushing probably 25 years in public safety. Uh, if, if you think about back then, nobody, nobody was talking about it. And especially as a new telecommunicator, a police officer, firefighter, EMT, whatever it is, you get right. to that bad call, the, fir- the first one, whatever it is. And everybody's just going, doing, and, and then that's it. And, and you're sitting there going, well, that was messed up. And um, but yeah, nobody's talking about it. So, all right, I'm just not going to talk because that would be weird if nobody's talking about it. And then I start talking about it because I could list a handful of calls that it was like, that was messed up. Why yeah. isn't anybody talking about it? Like, I feel like I want to cry. How come nobody's talking about it? Right. And did you ever notice how like back then, uh, if anybody talked about it, it was gallus humor and, and we made very dark jokes about it. Yes. And we still do to an extent. Yep. We still do, but that's how we sometimes would get it out uh, is we would make the gallus uh, humor jokes. Yeah. Right. And the thing of it is, is, is back then, I, I call it back in the day. Yeah. Uh, back in the day, all of our training was to prepare us for many critical incidents in our career, but it wasn't how to prepare us to get through those critical incidents. 
So when we started suffering the effects of trauma in going through divorces, going through substance abuse, we, we always say this, that we had the mentality that, oh, this is what they said would happen in the police academy. So we just accepted whatever fate happened. They said I would get divorced and they said I would abuse alcohol and they said I was do all, you know, do all these negative things. They didn't teach us how to get through it. Right. We call it validating validating the negative. We validated the negative that we were taught in the academies and training. And like Kathy said, we're like, oh yeah, well, you know what? They said I was going to get divorced. I was going to have the starter wife kit, blah, 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 things like that. And we validated it because that's what was put in our brain. Well, and that's and that's exactly what like I never thought of it that way. Like never in a million years have I thought about it that way, because now I'm going back to like my training. And you're right. I would say things like, hey, these are the things you need to watch out for. Mm-hmm. But nobody ever finished the sentence. But right. Right. Finish the sentence. I mean, we need a T-shirt that says that. Finish the, Finish sentence. the sentence. Yeah, yes. exactly. I love that. Like, like just even looking at that and I get really excited about things like that because now that's something to bring next to, to another training is yeah, you, you, you can tell them what to watch out for because we want them to recognize it and then have that, you know, we, we, we know the semicolon means a lot of other things, but have the semicolon to finish the sentence in a different, in in a different mindset is yeah, these are the things that could happen. These are the things you should look out for. And if they do, Here are even just three things, three things to do if, you know, the first thing, one of the things that I noticed um, is that in this profession, public safety is in general, we eat our young. It's, you know, everybody says says that, right? But I notice in like public safety, Facebook groups and things like that, whenever somebody is coming into the profession and they're super excited, like, oh, I just took a desk. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm getting hired here. I'm going to be a firefighter. I'm going to be a police officer. I'm gonna be, do you have any advice? And, and everybody's like, run, like, don't, don't yeah. do it. And, yeah. and I want to get better at saying, hey, yeah, it's going to be a hard job, but, but make sure you get yourself a routine and, and ways to cope because you're going to need it. And we're not doing yeah. that. Yet. Yeah. Some yeah, of us I mean, are, but... you know, we're slowly changing the culture slowly, right. very yep. slowly, like turning a cruise ship slow. But where we have to do better is in the middle because the police academies are doing a much better job of preparing people and the, the fire academies. Uh, they're all doing a much better job of of training people about critical incident stress management. And the chiefs are getting on board because IAC and PERP right. and, and the, the International Firefighters Association, they're all getting on board. But it's those crusty old 15 to 20 year old people are 15 to 20 year old veterans that are saying, oh, don't go talk to them, because if you talk to them, your gun's going to be taken away or yeah. put at a desk. Yeah, that's where we have to do a better job is catching those people because we're all peers. Yeah, we we are all. We all work together. We all have similar experiences. We're all peers, but it's the difference of being a good peer or a bad peer. And the bad peers are the ones that perpetuate the stigma of mm-hmm. seeking mental health care. Exactly. Because we're not saying that a situation may happen where, yes, they may take somebody's gun. But right. Sometimes the stigma is they make it seem like if you just ask for some help, that automatically they're going to take your gun. Right. We can't have that. No. And I think eventually, so, so, you know, kind of building on what you just said is if you ask for the help, Mm -hmm. then maybe it won't get to a point where they're going to take your firearm or, or make you take some time off. A friend of mine reached out recently and, uh, 
it's funny. He asks me how I'm doing and I'm like, no, no, no. How, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I just kind of knew, I, I already knew that there was something up and, and he said he had to t- he had to take some uh, some paid time off that was not given to him at the beginning of his career uh, because of an incident that took place. And I think the goal really is to get to that place where you're not lashing out, you're not breaking down, you're not being um, in in a in a vicious cycle, I guess, if you will. Um, so so there there is that. Now, Harvey, Harvey, I you just I just want to go back to something that you said is as you see these folks over time now, it's going to ha- it's ultimately going to be a progression where those crusty folks that are just done, they're burnt. They they never had the opportunity for mental health. And there was that stigma um, They're They're going to be moving on. You know, they'll they'll retire. Hopefully I and I see that in the last five years, we've been building a foundation on the nine one side where mental health is really becoming a priority. So I'm really excited about that. But you mentioned something in briefly about, you know, seeing somebody that's, you know, having issues or or whatever. Can you talk a little bit more about that person that's just becoming disconnected that you can kind of see from a distance and 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 what folks should be doing for those folks? How how do we help those folks? Oh, uh, great, great question. And you know. Everybody knows about the first responder who they're very engaged, they're very active. They look like they jumped out of a, a first responder catalog <laughs> with a uniform and how they look and everything. Everybody yeah. knows that person. Okay. Yeah. But then we also sometimes see that person where all of a sudden they're showing up late for work or the uniform isn't as put together as it normally has been. Yeah. Or there's the incidents where the social gathering, uh, they're not attending anymore and you see that they're pulling away. And you might see anger in them. Uh, they could be very caustic, but you see those things. And what happens is because we put ourselves in this world with trauma and we think trauma as being normal. We just put that to that first responder like, oh, they're just they're just bitter now. They're just, that's just part of the that's career, just part of the career. Yeah. And nobody ever thinks sometimes to pull them aside and say, hey, I've noticed things with you. I really noticed that you're disengaged with the rest of us. Is anything going on? Are you OK? Can can I help you in any way? By just making that contact and letting them know that you are sincere in what you're saying, you may open up that conversation where they can finally let it out. Yeah. Sometimes that's all it takes to help that person who is drifting away from the group in a negative way to get the help that they need. Uh, and I always say, as, you know, we go out there and we help the public so much and we talk to them and we give them so much advice. Uh, and sometimes we take abuse from them, but we're sometimes so afraid or worried about talking to one of our own in the same way. Right. And we have to stop that. We have to stop basically putting up the the walls between each other in the first responder community and reaching out for that contact. Yeah. So that's, that's what I would say. Yeah. And, you know, I think too, and, and I want to get your thoughts on that too, Kathy, is we have to get rid of the stigma too, that it's, it's only, we, how many times, do we say, if you're struggling, reach out, if we're struggling, reach out. And I've started hashtag reach in um, because mm-hmm. I know that when I, there were a few times where I was in a really, really, really dark place and I had a thousand people that I could have very easily reached out to. And I wasn't, there was absolutely no way I wasn't calling anybody. I wasn't reaching out. Um, I couldn't, I just, I felt like a failure. I felt like an emotional mess. I felt like nobody wanted to be around me. I felt like every time we were together, I was just crying all the time. And, and so it was just easier for me to pull away. So I've mm-hmm. kind of started the mentality of when you see those things, right? You see the person that used to be 
I used to joke I was Julie McCoy, the cruise director, like on the love boat. <laughs> yeah. Like I was the one that was planning all the fun. Like, hey, let's go to New York at Christmas time. Let's let's do this. Let's do that. And before you know it, it was like whoop, silent, silence. Yeah. And nobody yeah. reached in. In my case, like I look back and and unless I was vocal and, and if folks are hearing this, they might be like, well, wait a minute. I checked on you. That that's not what I mean. In a sense, when I disconnected, there were times that I was off the grid or the radar for well over two weeks. And I don't recall saying, oh, wait, so-and-so or this one, like recognize that I was gone off the radar and just kind of reached in. I have more of that now. I have so many people now that that reach in because they know that I've been an advocate for reaching in um, when you don't see somebody being themselves. So would you agree, Kathy? Oh, no, absolutely. And, and that's kind of the foundation of just one contact. It's not me, me needing help and contacting somebody else. It's also us recognizing these things in others and reaching out and making contact with them. But I like that reaching in or leaning in. I, I, yeah. I like that because yeah. we very much have to do that. Yeah, we call it hashtag just one contact. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, whichever direction it is. But I, it, it's absolutely true. And we both, we've all mentioned stigma in this conversation and the, how we end the stigma is courageous people telling their story. Yep. That's what we are all doing in a way that we're not only telling them the dark places, we're not only telling them the terrible stories, but we're telling them how we got through it in a healthy manner. And we're always telling people all it takes to end the stigma is one person telling you, yeah, I had, I had the trigger pulled uh, and knowing the poundage on that trigger, but this is what happened. I, I took some admin leave. I got some mental health care and I'm back at work doing, doing successful things. So that's how we end the stigma is is courageous people. And there are many, many courageous people out there who are telling their story and how they got through it healthily. Right. And, you know, I like how you talked about being in a dark place and Kathy Mm -hmm. said about a dark place and it made me think about it. If we're in a totally dark room and we can't see, what do we do? Because we don't want to get hurt while, you know, walk around too much in a dark room because we don't know what's in the room. But what, what do we do when we're in that dark place? We look for the light. Yeah. Okay. And that's what we're trying to tell people when they're in that dark place. Look for the light. If you can't find the light yourself, that's what we all come in here for as peers to help them find the light. So when you're in that dark room and you can't find the light switch, I guarantee you there's a peer that has been in that dark room also and yeah. it's going to turn on that light for you. Absolutely. So I was at, um, I, I shared this on my social media re- recently. I went to see Chris Daughtry, um, or the band Daughtry the other night, uh-huh. and he uh, I'm I'm guessing he's in a he's either coming out of the other side of a dark place. His new album is, you know, when you look at the words of the song, I'm I'm a very passionate like music. Like I want to read the words and mm-hmm. and know what it is. And it, and it was very it's very clear to me, um, given the music. It could actually be my anthem. Like I'm I'm listening to the songs and I'm like, oh, he wrote that about me. He wrote yeah. that song about me. <laughs> uh, but one of them uh, that he played was Cry for Help. And in the beginning, he gave kind of a, a monologue uh, about it being OK to ask for help and to cry for help. And, and your analogy about being in the dark room is you might not be able to see the light, but I'm sure if you shout out, if you if you put it out there that you're struggling, there are going to be folks that, you know, that will hear you and they'll right. resonate with it. And especially your family, like one of the things that I did for a long time. So we were in public safety. Uh, my husband's in public safety. I'm in public safety. My daughter started as my oldest started as an ER, um, an EMT. Then now she's an emergency room travel nurse. My youngest is uh, 18, just got on the fire department, went through an Explorer program. She's going to be doing her EM, EM, EMT soon. Um, 
But at the time it was like, yeah, I'd talk about, you know, mental health and just be aware and all that stuff. Like I said, the carpenter whose house wasn't finished. There was some moments where it, it got really, really dark, like really, really dark. And um, I was having thoughts that I was, you know, I knew better and I didn't, you know, want to to go down that road. But I was I was I was traveling slowly down this road. And there was a day that I, I pulled my family aside and I and I talked to them and I said, I'm in a bad place and I'm going to get help. Um, I don't know what that help looks like yet, but I just want to let you know that I'm aware I'm aware I'm not very fun to be around. I'm aware that I'm being mean and that I'm being angry and that I'm being sad. Um, and but I'm going to get help. And that was probably the best thing I have ever, ever done in my my life. Are you able to talk about the importance of sharing with your family um, what you're going through? I can tell you that we didn't do a very good job of that. Right. <laughs> but I'm assuming you're about, better. I'm assuming yeah, you're we better are much that. better. Yeah, we yes. talked about that openly because as as Kathy says, I came into a ready-made family. She had two kids. Okay. Uh, and when I came into the kids' life, our son was 15. Our daughter was eight going on nine. Okay. So it wasn't like they were itty-bitty. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, we always say we, we made a lot of mistakes sometimes as far as like the trauma that we were going through individually and then as a couple. And bringing it home. And bringing it home. Yeah. Yep. And we always tell first responder families that have kids, your kids know when you had a bad day. Oh, yeah. They do. They know very much so. What we found is that you can't just keep it inside like we're talking about. And yes, it's important to talk to your kids in the appropriate language according to their age. Yep. You can't give them the body cam version. Right. You know, you could be simply, hey, mommy had a bad day or hey, dad had a bad day, blah, blah, blah. Because they're going to grow up in the culture. We talk yep. about the first responder culture. They grow up in it. And, and some maybe b- become a part of it, like in my family. Like they all well, went ours, down that ours road. Too. Ours oh, too, ours really? Married, yeah. Our daughter married a corrections officer. He's a deputy. Yeah. Deputy. Yeah. And our son is now a Texas state trooper. Wow. So they grew up in it. And my son to this day tells stories that at the time I thought nothing about. I'm like, oh, this is just part of being a cop's kid. Yeah. And uh, now I'm like, oh, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I did that. But when you when you ask about telling our our children that we were struggling or that we were having a hard time, the when we did that was when it was about to come out in the newspaper. That's when we did that. And well, you're going to have to elaborate on that story. Well, we talk about when we started talking openly about our struggles. One of the first things that we did was a newspaper interview with Austin American Statesman. I thought it was the other way. I thought it was the other way. Oh, no, no. Okay. So it's a positive thing. Okay. And so when I, when, when we started thinking about what was going to come out in the newspaper about, you know, our, we were almost divorced and we were struggling and all of that. I just like, just shot into my head. Oh my God, we haven't even, we haven't even prepared the kids for this. And, you know, our son's older and a little more, a little more hard. He was in the Marine Corps for 14 years and he's, he's, he's still, still in the, in the Marine Corps, but yeah. Yeah, reserve yeah. now. Right. He's and he's a trooper, a trooper. Yeah. but our daughter's local. And, you know, we didn't even think about, oh yes, we're going to shine a spotlight on our struggles, but we didn't prepare her for it. Right. Even wow. though she know that she lived it, right. she knows that we struggled. It wasn't until then that we decided, oh, we better yeah, talk we, to we her better, about we better it. pipe up on this here. But yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Our children, we made the choice of becoming uh, better or, or going to the military veterans and going into the first responder community. We made that choice to do those things. Our kids did not. Right. They basically pulled into the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we have to do a better job as parents, first responder parents, 
to educate our children along the way. Because a lot of times, like you said, they follow in our footsteps. What we don't want them to do is follow in our footsteps of all the mistakes that we made and the trauma we experienced and didn't get help. Right. Very fortunate. Our son-in-law, he's like the rock as far as like, he's in a really good place. I think uh, him going to the beach almost every weekend is his therapy. Yeah. He's grown up in that, but he also knows that we're available. Our daughter, she also works for the state, for the Department of Public Safety, like our son being a trooper, but she's on the civilian side of it. And they've all learned that they can express things that bother them uh, at different points of their lives and their careers. And same thing for our son and our daughter-in-law, because uh, she's a Navy veteran as well. Wow. A lot of service in your family. Thank you. Thank you. And thank them all. Thank oh, and you. Thank, thank your you. family also. Yes, yeah. very much so. And they, they, they've they learned uh, that, yes, if something's bothering them to get it out, because we don't want them to follow in our footsteps, traumatized through their careers and their lives. Right. We want them to be able to fulfill their obligation careers, but to be able to manage when they're going through something bad. And we're not saying that they need to come and talk to us every time, right. but they know their departments offer peer support. Mm-hmm. Right. So they know that if we did it, we went to peer support, we went to clinicians. They know that it's okay for them to do that too. And, and I think that's I think that's where the stigma starts to shift, right? So you see right. the next generation coming up and it's like, oh, okay, we can talk about it. And I think another important point um, that I'd love for you to come back to is, you know, you mentioned a few folks in, in your family. They're good. Like, they're okay. I think there are times where folks are worried that this doesn't bother them. And I'm like, absolutely not. Like, no, it just means that maybe you've put the tools and the techniques mm-hmm. in place. And maybe you haven't hit your trigger yet. And and what I mean by trigger is in my place, I knew I had stuff. I had stuff back to being a child and young adult and, you know, bad relationships, an ex-husband, like whole nine yards. And, um, and I met my amazing husband, Jeff, who picked up the broken pieces that he had nothing to do with breaking. At the time, I had the job that I loved. I was a chief dispatcher. I was on the fire department. I had two beautiful daughters, a dog, a beautiful home. Like I, I, I wasn't financially struggling. Like everything was amazing. And then all of a sudden, it was like whoop, an incident happened with one of my managers, and the band aid got ripped off of wounds that had not healed yet. And before you know it, I just kept picking the scab off, and it just kept hurting and hurting. And before you know it, it was it was just this injury was spreading and um and I lost control of it. So I, I I when folks ask specifically like is there something wrong with me because this job doesn't bother me? I give them two respond one of two things. Either you're just okay and you have the resources and maybe you don't have risk factors or you haven't hit that place yet. Yeah, and and there's a strong psychology about people who go into the first responder profession having had all those ex- adverse childhood experiences and have high risk factors and things like that. So many of us, me included, come into this profession already scarred. Yep. And so I think there's a big component of people who are have the traumatic experiences and are resilient and they do the right thing. And the people who are already traumatized when they get into this profession, and then we just add to it. So yeah. I think there's a big component there. The ex-husbands, the you know, the abusive spouses, the the traumatic childhoods, all of those things take part in how we get through these critical and and how how we're going to be able to move forward. Yeah, yeah. I mean the brains. Yeah, she's she's, she's amazing. <laughs> and, and another um, thing I'd like to say is your husband Jeff. Kudos to him. 
Yeah. Kudos to him because you know what? It's very hard sometimes to find a trophy husband. <laughs> and knowing that Jeff is a trophy husband like me makes me feel really good. So, Jeff, you ever need anything, buddy? I'm here for you. See, we'll have to have a support group for the spouses who have to put up. Uh, when I when I, I think it was episode two, I had my daughter on and she was 17 at the time. And I was like, you know, let's talk about what it's like to not have one, but two public safety parents and one with PTSD. So that's fun. She couldn't do anything, nothing like she was going to everything. She I think she's still in therapy over the time I sold her trampoline because I was afraid she was going to hurt herself just <laughs> just because. Or they get um, grounded because you heard a call and and you're like, if you if, if I think if you're ever doing that, you know what, you're grounded anyway. You're not going to do it. Yeah. She gave me a mug for Christmas one time and it said uh, before she before I opened it, she said, let me just explain and she's like, don't take it the wrong way. And the mug said, Mrs. Always Right. And it was oh. funny because I would always say like, no, you can't do that because and then it would happen. So right. she was she was uh, she's a hoot, that kid. She's she's done well. And she's in it. Uh, she came out of an Explorer program that I I run with some uh, four other four or five other amazing instructors. And we are teaching them about mental health at a, at a young age because it is important. Um, and, and I said to her, I said, you're getting on the fire department and you, you better know that that first bad call that I know you've gone on. And she's like, I know, mom, but you don't have to like be like on top of me. Right. Like, I know what I need to do. But I'm con- yeah, I'm I convinced do. that we need to start peer support for our children. I agree. Uh, we, we have actually interviewed uh, Mason Blumenthal, who was very courageous in telling about how it was for him to be the child of a, a police officer who suffers from, from post-traumatic stress disorder. Right. Mason is the son of John Blumenthal. From Warriors Rest Foundation. And Amazing. John is still an active duty Oklahoma City police uh, sergeant. Yeah. So we interviewed them and the kids see a lot. Yeah, they do. And we just don't think about it at the time because you know why we're going through the trauma. We're kind of blinded to the fact that the kids are seeing this too. Right. Right. And we don't want we don't want to think that they're seeing it. We don't we don't want to think that we're doing the damage. And speaking of damage, I want to specifically ask you guys, because I have you as a captive audience right now. And and I have a couple of friends that are, are struggling with this particular situation. They are the spouse of somebody that is in a moment. They they are in the, the thick of their moment. Their spouse is, is raging. They're struggling. They know they have a problem. Uh, in, in both of these situations, they know they have a problem, but it's almost like that honeymoon phase with a domestic violence situation. Like they'll blow up, they'll have the rage. And then they're like, oh, I know what that was. That was, I was doing this and uh, yeah, it just got me upset, but I'm good. Like I'm fine. Right. Um, how do we get from the outside, how do we get those folks to see the damage that they're doing and want them to get the help so they don't have to li- live in that dirty bath water? Right. Well, I'll go first. And the reason why I'd like to go first is because people forget that I am a law enforcement spouse. Oh, yes. Now, right. People forget that. They, right. they, they think of me as a police officer and they know yeah. Kathy was a police officer, but sometimes they don't think about the fact that I was a law enforcement spouse. Right. Like all the law enforcement spouses out there, I know it was like to see my officer get ready for work, put on the uniform, put on the body armor, the belt, the gun, all the all the other toys and walk out the door. Yeah. So I, I know how that how that feels. And then during the day when she's gone, think about well, I hope she's okay. I hope she's safe. Uh, I don't want to call and bother her right. going on. So I, I, I get all that. I think what I would start off with as a law enforcement spouse, 
when you're in that kind of situation, that trauma is you got to take care of yourself first. Yeah. You have to take care of yourself first. And I mean that in so many ways, physically, <clears throat> mentally, financially, you have to take care of yourself first because sometimes as law enforcement spouses, we tend to forget about ourselves and put all the attention on the first responder. Right. Right. Yeah. We're not helping ourselves as spouses. So you, I would say you have to take care of yourself first because if you don't have that strength mentally and physically, uh, you're not going to help. And of course, the what do they say on the plane? Yeah. Put your mask on first. Right. Yeah. I'll let Kathy take it from you. I, I'm a firm believer in education, education, education. I think we should be preparing the spouses from the time their significant others start the police academy through field training, through in-service. We should be educating them on the training or I'm sorry, on the changes that they're going to and how you deal with these changes. And there are a lot of resources out there. When when I was in, in training at, before I retired, I we had a training day for the police spouses. And I'm not, and by educating them, I don't mean telling them this is what you're going to see, but you just have to deal with it because that's not proper education. This is what you're going to see, but these are some of the things that you can do to mitigate those those problems. Right. But I give uh, three books out. I Love a Cop is one. Emotional Survival for Law Enforcement is another. And uh, Five Love Language. And I would always get eye rolls from the guys on the Five Love Language. But that was something tiny that we did that had a significant huge, impact. Huge impact. Huge. And it, it's, it was almost like silly that it was such a small thing, but we never did it until right. it was almost too late. Right. I recommend well, to a couple yeah. uh, if they're in their, their relationship and it's a lifetime commitment that they should take that test. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree. So I folks that listen to me know that I am a firm believer in the DISC assessment, um, which is very similar, right? D- mm-hmm. Trying to identify what motivates and demotivates a person just in a general relationship and communication styles and stuff. But when you look at the love languages, like I know that I am words of affirmation. Um, and maybe that's because of past trauma, right? Because because mm-hmm. my brain does, I don't think I'm good. So I feel like I have to be told that I'm good and that I'm doing good and th- and I have to be recognized for that. Not because I'm conceited. It's because of maybe past trauma, yeah, right? Your soul. Yeah. Right. And then my husband is touch, you know, and, and if I go, if I'm closed off and, and I'm not holding his hand or I'm not rubbing his back or I'm just not like being in the same place with him, very distant, then I know that that's going to weigh heavy on him. So even just these little things that you can do to show each other that you're both working hard for it. And and I love that you mentioned the the education piece. I, I hope that my friends that are, you know, in these struggling places with their with their spouses are able to see that it's important to take care of themselves too, right? Because they're putting right. everything that they have into and and I'm a huge believer in EMDR, eye movement desensitization, Absolutely. reprocessing. And anybody can go back and listen to my uh, podcast. I, I talk about it all the time. But for me, that was something that allowed me to uh, start to heal, right? To, to start to separate some of the emotion from from the events. And I wonder if that's something that could be helpful for that that spouse as well. We both, and I'll speak for Javier, we both had EMDR at post-critical incident seminar when we sat down at the table for the first time, not knowing that what we were there for, but yeah. uh, we we both had EMDR. And I think it was more helpful for me because I had not really, I had a lot of childhood stuff that yeah. I had yeah. dealt with and, and Javier 
you know, had a lot of, he had a psychologist at his department. They had a peer support team versus I was from a smaller department, but EMDR was very helpful for me as a spouse and as a law enforcement. Right. And it helped me recognize some things that I had brought into the marriage that was, was causing dysfunction in our marriage. Yeah. And so I'm a big proponent. Everybody laughs at me and clinicians are like, ah, no, you don't want to tell people that. I think everybody should have EMDR. <laughs> I, listen, I think, I think like every class I go into, I'm like, listen, I'm going to tell you some stuff. You might not feel warm and fuzzy, but no, number one, this isn't the Oprah Winfrey gift show. It's not like you have PTSD, you have PTSD, right? right? But I will tell you, if I had the opportunity to give the gift of EMDR to every single person that sits in my class, I would. And, and it won't work for everybody, but there are other treatments out there. It's just the point of getting the treatment. Right, right. We we just recently uh, able and privileged to see uh, brain spotting. Okay. Um, where EMDR didn't work on this person, and the clinician also knew a uh, brain spotting practitioner. And wow, just like how we see the great things with EMDR, where they come out a different person and they're walking lighter and their shoulders aren't as burdened. We saw the same thing after a brain spotting session, where it was absolutely amazing. Can you so, can you give a little? Because uh, I have not heard of brain spotting, um, but can you just give kind of a little overview of of what it is, so my folks know, and if that's something that could potentially work really, for them? You no, know, not really. It, we know, so, we know, yeah, well, it's magic. Yeah, EMDR. I know. I can tell you this much. EMDR deals with unsticking the trauma that is stuck in your prefrontal cortex. Yep. Yep. That I brain do know. has something to do with the central part of the brain that maybe it is more trauma or longer trauma. And it has sunk far, I, I guess, deeper, I guess I apologize for, for even this language, but it has sunk deeper into the brain and it takes more work yep. to get. It. And the, but the important part of this is that, there's hope out there. Yeah. And there are so many things that can, if this doesn't work, you've got this, that doesn't work. You've got this, but yes, I have not gotten to the brain spotting part of my, my education. <laughs> I just saw it in action and it was a, it was a miraculous. Right. Yeah. Recovery. Right. And just circle back with what the question began with as far as, you know, for the spouses of these first responders, again, I'm going to reemphasize Take care of yourself first. Sometimes you might have to make a hard decision, but you have to take care of yourself first before you can even think about helping your first responder. Yeah. And I think, I think the spouses that are not in the thick of it end up in their own mess, um, which creates their own trauma, which in turn, you know, could have long-term effects. So if they're kind of keeping track of that and taking care of that now versus later, then they might not be bringing it into another situation if if that's where it ultimately goes. I do know that there has to come a point where there may need to be an ultimatum, Right. you know, is if you don't choose to go get help that who knows, they may not be able to stay in that particular situation. Right. I have been faced with that ultimatum myself from Kathy. It's not fun. It's not a great feeling for that couple to be at that point. But when you're facing that ultimatum, you got really two choices. And the easy decision would be to walk away. Yeah. The hard decision is to realize you're making a lot of huge mistakes and you got to make it right and get the help yourself. Right. And I think, I think, I think one of the things, you know, what would be an interesting place, like my husband was just super, super supportive. Like he's just the nicest, kindest, most caring guy. Like, and I did a lot of damage to him. I know I did. And I just think to myself back then is, is I could see somebody that is 
the spouse of the first responder going through a place where it's like somebody saying to them, you just don't understand. You don't understand what I'm going through when in fact they are putting their spouse through the exact same thing that they're going through. So it's sometimes you have to kind of put that back on them, be like, Oh, hold hold on, hold on. And then you pick up a mirror and show it to them. Right. Right. Be like you're doing, you're doing the same exact thing to me that is happening to you. Yes. And another point about that around the country, I think there's 12 now post-critical incident seminars. So I would tell anybody that you have listening that is struggling with their spouse or they're struggling themselves with this life is post-critical incident seminar is not just for the first responder. It's also for the spouse. And even if there are things that they're struggling with that are outside of the marriage, they can get help there as well. Right. That's amazing. We encourage uh, spouses because they get healing and it's not just the first responder. It's also for them. So check out where you live at and see if there's a post-critical seminar or in some states, they call it LEAP. LEAP, L-E-A-P. Virginia is a LEAP. California is is a LEAP. LEAP. Arizona is a LEAP. And I think Oklahoma has a LEAP and a PCIS, but it's Law Enforcement Assistance Program. It's a three-day seminar and it's it's for us it was life-changing and and for thousands of others that we've seen it's been life-changing. I so bet. I would highly recommend that for the spouses that that are going through this. I agree. Because yeah. you know it's interesting. After uh, the, our critical incident where I had an officer involved shooting, Kathy at the time was a training sergeant in her department. And when it was appropriate, she had me speaking to her officer about yeah what I experienced emotionally being involved in this. And I would notice that she would stand off to the side of the classroom and interject some really good points. And that's when I started to realize, you know what, we need to be up there together. And I said, and the spouses of these officers in there with them so they can hear this too. Yep. And that really became the genesis of how eventually we became that peer support couple is because we along the way figured out we were, I don't want to say more powerful. We were more effective, really. More effective as a husband and wife team to the future spouse teams that were out there. Yeah. And the, the officers, I don't think, understand what they do to their spouses on small things mm-hmm. like, oh, I got to go. Something's going on and throwing the phone and not answering it for hours. Or right. you know, in, in our case, he called me. Don't do this, guys and gals, if you're watching. He called me before his incident was over and the suspect on the phone, I can hear the suspect revving his tires behind him. And he goes, Oh, oh crap. I got to go. And he hangs up. And so as a cop, I was mad. Yeah. As a spouse, I was mad. So he got both, both personalities. Oh yeah. Yeah. My husband and I, we, yeah, we worked together. My husband and I, I used to dispatch him on fire calls. There's nothing worse than a husband and wife that do the same job. Because you get it in both directions. Yeah. But I reacted of course in anger. And then I had to also it slapped me in the face that what if that was the last text message I ever get to send him. Right. So I'm like correcting all the curse words I said to him in the previous two. <laughs> right. But we don't, we often don't understand what we put our spouses in, in our day-to-day jobs in the small things. And we try to impart that on people, but definitely PCIS if, if they have it. And you can even go to other States like Texas, our PCIS has had first responders and their spouses from other States. So if you don't have it in your state, look around or right. contact, put you in, in contact. With right. Somebody. Which uh, that's amazing that we've had people from other states come to our Texas PCIS. At the same time, too, sometimes they come 
to a PCIS out of state is because they don't want anybody to know where they're from, that right. they went to a PCIS. So right. there's still that stigma within getting the help. Yeah. yeah. And we have spouse peers that the spouse peers are there to remind the spouse, you are not just here because inevitably there will be spouses that say, well, I'm just here to support my husband or I'm just here to support my wife. Yeah. No. This is for you. This is for you also. Some of the best times I've had as a peer is in small groups. Sometimes they'll put me in the the small group that are spouses. And then they'll sit there and look at me like, why is he in the small group for spouses? And then I do what I, like I told you earlier. Yeah, yeah. I too am a law enforcement spouse. Mm -hmm. And when I see the flash in their eyes that they get, then they, then they're ready to accept me because they do realize, Hey, he is a peer. Yeah. Spouse. Right, right, right. That's amazing. Well, I, oh, this has been an amazing conversation. And you know what we did? We, we finished the sentence, right? Like, yes. so, so we told folks that it was okay to not be okay, but we also gave a, a whole bunch of resources for folks yes. to, to move forward. And everybody knows they can go to my website on scenefirst.com. They can reach out to my email on Facebook, social media, wherever they can find me and I can get them in touch with you. But um, if they want to find you on their own, can you share where our, our listeners can, can find you guys? Everywhere. Everywhere. We're, just, we're, just Google that peer support couple, well, right? I'd love to say that if, if you do put that peer support couple in Google, uh, we do pop up. I, I, okay. I joke, I say we're a cancer all over Google because we do Good. pop up. Good. But you we, should be spreading, damn it. Yeah. But we, but we, we have a web, we have a website, of course, uh, 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 Kath, kathyandhobby.com. Okay. We have Facebook, we have Instagram, we have Twitter, LinkedIn. we have our individual LinkedIn's, mm-hmm. uh, we have our email, uh, kathyandhobby at gmail.com. Okay. And, and uh, we'd like to think that it's pretty easy to contact us yeah. with all those mediums. Mm-hmm. And if anybody has questions about uh, what we've talked about today, uh, please email us. And uh, if, even if it's a question about well, what did you say about that PCIS thing or whatever, uh, well, or where is one? Where is yeah. one? Yeah, we can we can help them find one because uh, that's what we do. Yep. We, we endeavor to help others. I love it. I love it. Um, I wish I knew that uh, where exactly you guys were located before I head off. Uh, this will post after, like, so this will launch after I spend some time in Texas. But uh, I do know I'll be back in the area, and I would love to meet up with you guys and oh, share sure. a meal. Share yeah. some space and just really have some some good conversations. I think there's a lot of good work we can do together. So, yes, yes, I appreciate what you guys are doing. Continue the mission, and uh, I'm sure we'll we'll be in touch and doing some cool things at some point together. So, I appreciate you guys. Thank you for being on my show. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us, and to everybody out there, it's okay to be not okay, but finish the sentence out there, people. But it's not okay to stay there. Absolutely. There you go. Awesome. Hey heroes, we hope you enjoyed the show. Please like and follow me on my On Scene First social media so you too can keep up with my shenanigans. And make sure you get to know our friends over at NGA911. You can start by heading over to their social media and thanking them for being our premier sponsor. Remember, stay safe, stay strong, and stay here. We need you.